I haven't cleared for at least three days. Shit. I haven't gone I clear. Need, I need to now buy a new mouse, man, because this is going to fucking stink. It's all right. I think CrossFit made mouse mats. <laughs> just, it, they, they, just, they send electrical charge into your wrist as you're using them so that you're constantly working out your wrist. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, no, it is. It is, it is a good way to do it. It's con- mm. con- constant varied movements, Dom. You know, yeah, constant varied functional, movements. High, functional fitness. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Mm. Yeah, you know, we call it adult PE, you know, adult. in the click. That's what, that's, what, that's what we call it. That's adult what we call P. it, Dom. Oh, God. You're like, <laughs> CrossFit. Just quite good at PE. People are the fucking worst. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Oncast. My name is Dom, as one half of the Oncast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. In this episode, in anticipation of the release of Tenet, we are Tenet. discussing Tenet. 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 Yeah, Tenet. Tenet. Okay, all right. Not one syllable. I'm sorry. Tenet. Tenet. There we go. I, I can't say it. Anyway, it's stupid. Anyway, in anticipation <laughs> of the release of that film. We're discussing the films of award-winning producer Emma Thomas and, to a lesser extent, her husband, Christopher Nolan. But so also, she, as we will talk about very soon, Jonathan fucking Nolan as well. Also, also the award-winning writer, Jonathan Nolan, and, to a lesser extent, his brother, Christopher <laughs> Yeah. Specifically, we're going to be talking about Memento, The Prestige, Inception, Interstellar, and Dunkirk. We're not going to be talking about the Dark Knight trilogy um, because we're going to save that for a grand batman rewatch which we'll probably do next year um yeah. assuming that, that that film comes out the new one that's, that's meant to be coming out assuming the world is still around fucking that know, who cares anymore like yeah it'll probably fu- <laughs> it's something like there's something good that's being done by people who give a shit about it so they'll probably fuck it over won't they um <laughs> anyway you okay you okay hon? i'm not okay really um yeah let's nah. not talk about, let's just talk about nolan so nolan um, yes Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan. Born in West Virginia du- during the reign of the Time Doctor. Uh, his brains mean clocks. Yes. Um, so he obviously he's become now this amazing like so he's like the big ce- a celebrity director in a way that for the last few <laughs> years they've got to the point now where they sell films on the fact that he's directing them in a way that I don't yeah. think there are any other real directors working today that you can say the same thing of. Tarantino? Um, maybe, yeah, maybe Tarantino. Um, like, but Tar- they- I think you're looking at, like, there's, like, this echelon of autoristic directors. So you get somebody like Tarantino and Scorsese. Yeah. Uh, these are like- the people that you really know what you're getting from. To a lesser yeah. extent, somebody like um, like Ryan Coogler who is um, like got a really distinct voice in cinema at the moment and um, yeah, he does is like a really sort of powerful messaging. Like he obviously doesn't have the same amount of films under his belt as somebody like Scorsese or Tarantino. Um, But I think Nolan, for example, is in that area of somebody that is like an Almodovar 
sort of level of he's got these themes that exist within all of his films yeah and i think what we do because we don't generally tend to do this um we've done it with tarantino actually um funnily enough um where we look at a body of work of a director but that's what we decided to do this time just for the sake of time really um but yeah. each one of these films could get his own um episode quite easily and when but when you do what we're doing which is to step back and look at the body of work you do notice all the, the thematic stuff and that they do have a lot more in common than you would originally think on face yeah. value. Um, but we'll get into that. But yeah, I think he's at this point now where, although, yeah, you can compare Tarantino and Scorsese to a certain extent. I think the difference, I guess, with Nolan is that he's created this, the myth of him, if you like, the the persona and the, the fact that everyone builds up around it. He's done that in the last 20 years. Whereas your Scorsese's and your Tarantino's like by the time you know the year 2000 rolled around they were already legends they were already like yeah. they already they had that back catalog they were just going to be building on yeah um whereas he's sort of come out of he started off you know because that's the thing that gets me I think we are and it makes sense for us to start at the beginning um because I've rewatched Memento um which was yeah. really the film that it wasn't his first film his first film was a film called The Following which I haven't had a chance to watch um, no, nor have I. The first one that sort of grabbed everyone's attention was Memento. And rewatching it now, the film came out in 2000. And so it's 20 years old, and it's just incredible to me <laughs> to watch it um, and realize just his creativity and his, the audacity of the man. <laughs> and when, I said this the other day when we watched Inception, like just the sheer balls of it. Like the idea that that was his second movie that he made. And he did this whole thing where, the, if for those of you who don't know anything about Memento, Memento is a film, um, and it's basically it's like a noir story. Yeah, um, but it's the the sort of the selling point or the thing that people talk about is that it's done in reverse chronological order. The vast majority of the runtime is a story told, and each scene takes place after the scene that comes later. That <laughs> that precedes it. Excuse me. So you get you get to the end of a scene. And then that explains to you the previous scene. You understand the context for it. But and so he did that whilst intercutting with another set um, narrative, which is in black and white, which runs forwards. And that was his second movie he ever made. <laughs> yeah. But like to me, it's, it's, it's and it's incredible to watch because and we won't talk about it too much because I know you you haven't watched it recently. Um, no, unfortunately, crazy. I didn't get the time to no. sort of go back into this. But it's amazing to, to watch and to realise, again, as, as you then go on to watch his later films, the, the mastery he had over like, narrative and storytelling at that early stage, that he was able to, he knew exactly how films are structured to a point where it's like, it's not about the chronology of it, it's about when the crescendos happen, when the third act. So like, in Memento, there'll be, there's a big... But it like, sort of issues the, um, the, the normal sort of linear capabilities that exist within films by putting what would be the third act mm. um the the third act climax but it puts it in the first act but it also has its own third act climax That's in I mean, this yeah. negative structure and you're like yeah so like it has this big like there's a crescendo like at, at the right moment in the movie so like there's a big like um argument scene between carrie ann moss's character and um guy pierce's character and that happens as you're getting into the third and final act. But chronologically, that happened like two days before the end, which we saw about an yeah. hour ago. 
but because he knows that that's when it needs to happen. And the thing that really drive, drove that home for me is um, there's a feature on one of the DVDs that you can get for Memento where you can watch the movie forwards. You can watch it in chronological order. Yeah. And I, and I did well, It was that. like the, the first of the, uh, the, like the Easter eggs that existed in sort of DVD, wasn't it? So yeah, it was. It was I remember it was that order. and like the gladiator, the previs of the gladiator rhino fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so, and you're uh, like, oh my god! If you look, if you do like square left up, square left, or like yeah. the Konami code when you're on the home screen of the fucking Memento third version special edition rather than the second, yeah, you can watch it in the right order. Yeah, but watch it. So having done that, you realise how f- sort of flat it is because it doesn't build momentum in the same way. It doesn't. You're not because you know just the way it's struck, even though it makes like more chronological sense, it just doesn't flow as well properly in terms of when mm. you find out the information you find out that has that revelation. Cause the idea like with any noir stories about you finding out information about the investigation that's happening, which in this case is about a guy trying to avenge his wife, we think. Yeah. Um, but like, again, yeah. So he, his whole idea of withholding information from the audience and only giving it to them as Leonard, the main character finds out it sort of doesn't work when you watch it forwards. So like you, when you find things out in the right order, then it's, it just loses its momentum and you don't have the, the intrigue of trying to figure out how this scene informs the scene you just saw. So hang on, I know that at the end of this, he ends up here. So how, how does that connective tissue happen? And you're trying right. to puzzle it out, but you don't get that when you're watching it forwards and you realize just how well written it is forwards and how he's, he's constructed this whole film that is like, a negative film it does everything opposite of what a film's meant to do and yet it works <laughs> perfectly and that's his second film he ever made oh, it's, and based, that's, based that's on based on a short story written by his brother who he told and like his brother told him the story verbally in a car journey they were taking he went jonathan went off to write his short story christopher went off to write a film script and that's what and this is what they came up with it's just unreal. It's it's crazy to me. Um, That's what we got to talk about because this is like, I love Nolan. I know I love what he's doing for film and what he's doing in film. But one thing that I think people keep forgetting is that there is this sort of like Trinity there. Yeah. It's like the Nolan three and yeah. not so well, I don't want to, I don't want to discredit um, Jonathan Nolan's partner because she's very involved in a lot of things as well, especially like Westworld and yeah. uh, a lot of, she's his writing partner, mm. but there are things that Jonathan is involved in and the, the intelligence that he has for structuring a screenplay or a story in the way, that, and then Christopher can present it in the filmic way is is one of the things that i was really want to get out of like today's like today's session i want everybody to understand that that jonathan nolan is equally as important as christopher in this in the overall well you know maybe maybe not equally but i think like 60 40 like absolutely because we'll get to something something that i want to talk about when we get to like interstellar for example but like you say like Jonathan, this story was was the genesis came from Jonathan, and then Christopher pulled it together, or vice versa. But yeah, it's fucking amazing. Like, yeah, I remember Memento. I don't remember it. And the issue, the issue that I've got is I don't know why I don't go back to it. 
Uh, but yeah. it's just one of those things that I'm like, every time I think about it, I'm like, yeah, I could. Or I could watch Inception again. Yeah, I think because I think part of it, and this is like when we go, when we talk about later on, like trying to sort of rank them or something, the, the issue is like they all speak to different things. So from a narrative storytelling point of view, mm-hmm. I think the Mento is like the best achievement of the whole lot. However, visually, you want to watch something like Inception because it will blow your mind because it it, it yeah. takes all that high concept stuff that then also has these amazing set pieces and like like just you know iconic imagery that we all know like everyone knows the the city turning on itself like there's images like that which will stay with you forever which don't necessarily have in things like Memento which are much mm-hmm. more subdued character driven pieces um but again like it because it's, it was that film that he made so early on in his career it, you can see that it's the foundation and interestingly even yeah. like because watching inception the other day it, it reminded me of stuff where it's like he's exploring things that he was thinking about and talking about in uh, memento even in inception so i may as well jump into it now there's, there's a thing in, in inception where um we we have this whole thing with the character Leonardo DiCaprio plays. Um, Dom. Dom. Yeah, Dom Cobb. Um, yeah. He, um, and he has his whole, he has his wife, Marion Cotillard's character, who died in the real world, and but he has this projection of her, which he brings into his dreams. And this is, she's kind of like the femme fatale of, of the movie. Um, yeah. And we get this, sort of, one of these crescendos that we get towards the end of that movie. And spoilers for all of these movies, by the way. Um, yeah. <laughs> But one of the one of the things we we get is that he sort of says, "All you are is a is my um, interpretation of you of her. I can't imagine my wife with all her complexity, all her perfection, all her imperfection. You're just a shade. Yeah. That's all you are." And that goes all the way back to Memento because Memento he talks about you know memory is not perfect. Memory can change the shape of a room or it can change a car. And to a point where even in Memento he has amalgamated his story with this story of this other character, Sammy Jenkins, where it's this whole yeah. thing about him giving his wife too much insulin and he's like convoluted those two things. And so the whole idea of memories being false or memories being things that you can manipulate and change has been there right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been there right. And again, he's just using different mediums. And now he's saying, right, so dreams, how can dreams alter your memories of someone into something that they weren't in the same way that that's what, that's how Leonard chooses to see the world and how he, you know, it's all about subjectivity. Every one of his movies has got something about his subjective view of that particular person and how that relates to the objective truth that is there. Um, And again, that was all that stuff was there in Memento. Like, you know, the guy really discusses it. He says, there are certain things you know to be true. I know that when I tap this desk, it's going to feel like that. I know when I'm, what this is going to taste like when I drink it. Now, there are absolute truths. The world doesn't stop to exist when you close your eyes. But yeah. everything that's going on in my head can be changed. And they really get into that in Inception. Because that's the whole point of Inception. Yeah. And well, that's the thing. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you watch I mean, you kind of fucking like... nailed it there. Like, I'm, I was like, ah, can I add to this? No, I can't. I can't because you fucking smashed it. So, uh, but it is like the, the, the deeper concepts and conceits that live within the Nolan, Nolan universe, should we say, mm. are all really quite deep and quite insightful. And like, the, I mean, they are like different in 
sort of some of the ways but like you say when you're talking about like interpretive visions and like when we get to the prestige for example and to give away the prestige of the prestige when they've just told you the entire way how this is done yeah from the very beginning they tell you he's a double but you weren't watching closely he he said he asked you at the very beginning are you watching closely and you fucking well weren't were you but do you know why exactly because it's film film is like a magic trick and in film you want to be fooled yeah oh fuck i don't see yeah let's talk about the prestige (laughs) so talking about the prestige the prestige uh we are oh yeah i don't know how to explain the fact that i first watched the prestige when i was in i think probably my uh, can you hear me still yeah i can hear okay yeah just checking um yes i can hear so (laughs) i can hear you clem fandango um but yeah, I, what, I first watched The Prestige, I think it was my first year of university. Mm. And it just fucking blew my... No, it would have been a bit later than that. Um, but yeah, when I first watched it, it just blew my mind. And I was yeah. like, who the fuck... This guy made Batman? Yeah. And it was yeah, like, it just completely so... shifted for me. Because I was like, like, I'd seen Memento, but I, at that point... I didn't have the association that Christopher Nolan, because he wasn't this big name. It was just this really cool film that we all talked about in film studies at college. And then we went off to university and did our own different things. I didn't, uh, spoiler alert, I didn't carry on doing film at university. I went into business. Business. um, I went and did business at university. Big business. business. About business and business things. And uh, yeah, I went and did business stuff and buzzword things and hashtags. Sorry, my, my and, degree, I'm just looking at my degree on the wall now. It has got film and media in in the title, so we're all good. We got we're qualified. We can continue. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I my degree's in storage, um, but you know, it's it's there. It's um, business. Business. School of business. Business. Uh, but it is. Uh, I can't remember what it is. Am I an MBA? I think so. A BA. I don't know. Whatever. Shut up. Anyway, Batman. No. Magic. Wizards. Star Wars. No. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, right. So, yeah. So, his career directory, basically. So, he made, he made Memento. Yeah, he, then went... he made Memento, and then he made Batman Begins. No, he didn't. So, there was one in between, which we're not, we haven't, we're not really going to talk about, but he did make um, Insomnia. Oh fuck! Yeah, I forgot about that. So you made insomnia. Yeah, I with... really like insomnia, actually. Yeah, so you made insomnia. Uh, with... Al Pacino and Robin Williams. Yeah. Um, so oh. that was two thousand two. Um, I haven't had a chance to watch that yet. My understanding though of it though is that it's not one of his original stories. It's I think like no. it was great. He was kind of more of a gun for hire on that, but he brought his very much he brought his Nolanness to it. Um, from what yeah. I understand. Um, but yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. I don't want anyone to sort of have that as a detractor from that film because it is genuinely a good film. It doesn't exist in the same scale that a lot of Nolan's other works do, but it is a very, it is a good film and it does explore, especially with uh, Nolan's sort of visual language. It explores a lot in the way that he would structure the story in the way that you see things at the beginning that happen at the end or happen at the end, that end up in the beginning and vice versa. So there's like, there is 
there is a certain Nolan touch to it, but it's not this sort of high cons- concept piece that the other ones would be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but as we so said, he, we aren't talking about that today, sort of thing. So that yeah, that's um, he made uh, Insomnia, then he made Batman, and that was obviously when he had lights. That's when people were really paying attention. And Batman Begins came out. It kind of we'll talk about it in another episode, but it kind of shook everything up in terms of superhero movies. Um, and then that that's when he started having more money to play with, essentially, and started. Yeah. To, that's where he started to pick up his his crew of actors as well. Like he because. Another thing he does is he does tend to, when he works with an actor, he then tends to bring them into his next movie. And the biggest one, the big, the biggest mainstay of all that is Michael Caine. So he first worked, worked with Michael Caine in um, Batman Begins. And then from that point, I don't think he's made a movie without him since. Um, so then he made, yeah. he followed up Batman Begins. And like they obviously the studio were probably pushing for him to make a sequel like as soon as. But he was like, no, I'm going to go and make this uh, very complicated film about magicians. Um, but I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take the star of Batman and I'm also going to take Hugh Jackman and I'm also going to take um, Michael Caine um, I've got Batman, I've got Wolverine I've got Batman, I've got Wolverine if I don't get David Bowie um, I'm not making it uh, yeah. <laughs> David Bowie playing Nikola Tesla um, and it, again, it's an ad- again it's not 100% original again it is his script and him and Jonathan wrote it together but it is based on a book um, yeah but the book is like, very different very 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 different and it's um i haven't read it personally but i've had it on very good authority that whilst it is a good book it's not really um to the same extent as the film the film explores a lot more and does a lot more with the book in itself is fairly standard in so much as the story that happens but it's the way that he structures everything within the film itself is what is the genius of the prestige. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm like, I mean, the prestige. I mean, the, again, it's amazing to me watching it back again this week is that how well it flows, even though, because so, I think someone pointed out something like, so over 140 times throughout the length of the film. And it's, it's not even a particularly long one. It's only about two hours, but 140 times in that runtime, it cuts between different times. There are time jumps. Really? Yeah. And because it, it's constant, because basically what you're watching for a lot of it, it starts at the end. Again, he does he does the same thing again. Memento is he starts with Angier, who is um, Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman's character, drowning, and then Borden being put on trial for that. Borden being played by Christian Bale. That's how he starts yeah. the movie, and then everything works back from how we. And it's like it's the best example of three weeks earlier trope. That's ever been done. That's it. Like, yeah. it's, and then it literally just everything gets informed after that. And yet somehow it's compelling enough. And a lot of it is just the pair of them reading each other's diaries. <laughs> that's all you did. Like at one point, then, at one but, point it's cut in between Christy Bell sat in a jail cell for having killed Hugh Jackman and he's reading his journal. And in the journal that he's reading, Hugh Jackman is describing how he's reading Christian Bale's journal. I'm like, how is yeah. this so yeah. compelling? Like, this is <laughs> this that's the genius of this film. Like, how the fuck can that be so densely packed and densely structured, but still work in a way yeah. that it's quite easy to follow? Yeah, because because they do. Like, I think part of it again is it's his his command over narrative and knowing when to reveal the information. 
-hmm. And so the best example of it in The Prestige is like there's the point where you have Michael Caine's character showing the judge of the trial all the equipment that's being used in the Magic Cat. And he shows him shows him this tank, this water tank, which is the like basically the um, murder weapon, if you like, which was for him to get. And he goes, ah, but you understand this tank is like there was a reason it was used. It's got a very particular significance to these two men. And then it does a flashback to the night that the inciting incident of their rivalry, which the whole movie is about, which is when Mm -hmm. um, the night that uh, Angie's wife died on stage. Yeah. And and again, using that water tank. So again, that is, although chronologically, you could have started the movie like that, but that happens about 20 minutes in, but it happens at the exact right moment for you to understand what, like, okay, now we know, like, here's where the, the grievance started. And then it builds mm-hmm. and builds and builds from there. It's like, you just, you just gets it. He just knows exactly, that's exactly the point where we need that little bit of information to draw us further into the story. And he, and he just nails it. And it's just, oh, so good. It, yeah. And it's, so it's the, if for anyone that hasn't seen the prestige, firstly, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, Secondly, um, it is like like we were saying, it's a film about these dueling magicians back in sort of Victorian England, um, and about the sort of the way that they go about one up a one upping one another after this inciting incident, and then, but all throughout the film, they are talking about um, one basically one specific magic trick, which um, they just sort of build upon. And, and and that's and that's the transported man and uh it's <laughs> how do you how does he do this yeah i need to know uh, but the entire film is framed around just in well it's for me it's always been about like this obsession for yeah. one another and like the 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 obsession like uh like christian bale so is freddie um his determination desperation and absolute and i mean this in the definitive absolute way of holding that secret because no one needs to know and he repeats it because he's like as soon as they need as soon as they know the secret they don't care about you anymore no one cares about the man in the box exactly no one cares (laughs) but like uh, honestly i there are so many things to say about it but just like i love the because it's kind of like a an exploration of art in a way to like that because they're, they're both artists or like or you know performers but they approach it from completely different angles there's one who mm-hmm. you know it's borden is all about the the intricacies of it and have it and the dedication that it takes so he he dedicates it the, your entire life to your art yeah. and that is a hundred that is so there's this great sequence where they go and see this other magician early on who's the chinese guy yeah, that's kind of that's based on true thing as well. Like, because there was a magician in around that time who was very much a white Englishman who dressed himself up and was, would basically do yellow face and yeah. make himself in. Yeah, and he did, but he did exactly what Borden said, which was he lived his act. Whenever he was in public, he was constantly made out that he was this mysterious man of the Orient, um, and then died doing the bullet catch because someone shot him. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> he like he like he never he never spoke a word in English apart from when he was shot. Where he said, "Oh, I've been shot." That was the last thing he said. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Can everyone stop getting shot? I don't fucking believe this. Can everyone stop getting shot? 
That's fucking brilliant. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but like, that's the thing. So that's Borden's whole thing is about 100% dedication to his art. Whereas Angier has got this whole thing. He's obsessed with the audience and the adulation. And the mm. and he wants, and like I said, he gets to the end, they have this whole discussion about why they were doing what they were doing. He says, you don't understand. It's about the look on their faces. Yeah. Like people, on the, people know that the world is is you know horrible and depressing and it's solid all the way through and everything things are real there's no such thing as magic people know that but if you can get them to forget that just for a second then it's worth it then everything's worth it and that's what he's doing it for whereas borden is doing it for like this total devotion to his art and that's his way of escaping the world so he's doing it for more selfish reasons and it's like like they're both valid yeah but then that's the thing it's not because the way that when you look sort of scratch at the characters a little deeper and you understand when you when you start learning about like angia for example isn't the american that you believe he is mm. he's yeah. a very well-to-do english yeah, but then again, lord then who's just that. being presented as yeah well, and that's sorry that, that's when you realize that he's been doing what borden's been saying the whole time 100% yeah. dedication to his art. He never take. He never drops yeah. the accent. He never does anything like he's put, put on this persona of Robert Angier, which isn't even him. And we've been watching him do that the entire movie. That's the only. You know, that's and you realise that. Oh no, shit. Yeah, he, he's been doing exactly what you've been saying the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't. But that's one of the things as well. It's like the like because Angier's arrogance is one of the things that sort of throws him all the way throughout. And he's very much like tech. And he's got like his ingenue in Michael Caine, who's sort of like, oh, we can do this and we can do this and you can do this. And you can do, and this is the new technology that means this to the point that he gets in contact with Nikolai Tesla mm. to build this sort of miraculous device, which is well, actually I- just being sent around uh, in the false diary of. Yeah. So no, that's, the, that's the reason he goes to Tesla is because te- he gets given. Um, so he finally, he manages to, his rivalry builds up, builds up, and he gets his, this notebook um, of Teddy's, but he doesn't have the cipher, the word that will decode it and make it all, all yeah. the same. And he goes, right, you're going to write this down. He threatens him in a you know, scenario. He says, write your Daniel um, keyword um, and then and your method. He goes, the keyword is the method, and the keyword is Tesla. So yeah. that's the reason why he then goes down this route of finding Tesla, which is a whole other element that he goes down. Um, as it turns out, that is something that Freddie did entirely to throw him off. Yeah, because there is, Tesla wasn't involved at all. It was exactly it was just as simple as Michael Caine said it was. He used a double, but like, but, <laughs> but Angie didn't couldn't accept that. He's like, no, it's too good. He can't. He can't. He can't be that simple. It's got to be something more complicated than that. And so went on this wild. And that's yeah. And it's it's his it's Angie's arrogance mm. that does all of this. Yeah, it's it's so much about him and then he, he starts like lording it up and being who he is with the money and everything and he takes away um alfred's daughter yeah but even like when uh, he, so and, he, he, and he does it in such a spiteful nasty and vindictive way yeah. that you're like oh he's now become the villain mm. well that, that's uh, what's interesting through his well, own but, arrigance and hubris yeah but like that's amazing. and then it all that's another, in on him again yeah because that's another amazing like sleight of hand that um Nolan does in this one is that again all about that subjectivity and like and seeing it from both because it this does a really great job of showing it from both sides of points of view but like 
as the movie starts in the first act in the in the um in the pledge mm. um, is 100% Hugh Jackman is the hero Christian Bale the bad guy yeah. by the time you get to the end everything's completely changed everything's yeah. completely reversed and you and you completely you view both of them as completely different people because at the beginning of it it's like he killed his wife he killed his wife. That's it. He did, what a bastard! And then yeah, and he just yeah, and you keep that throughout a good chunk of the runtime. And then you st- as things start to unravel, it completely changes. And again, that's him going on about that that subjectivity. That's is all different yeah. from a different point of view. And the, and it's so densely packed because you are like, oh yeah, he did kill his wife, but actually he didn't. Like he does, he did a different knot, but he doesn't know if he did the different knot because was it. Was it and spoilers again? Was it Alfred or was it Fallon? Yeah, yeah, that exactly. tied the knot. You know, yeah, and no, yeah. okay, yeah, we don't know which one it is, and whomever he's talking to, whenever he says he doesn't know, says it with the same conviction. But he was also given the go-ahead by Angie's wife. Yeah, to do but that then, as but well. Then the, so, there's so many theories around that. Like, so it's a case of like, so when they're having the, because early on they have the discussion about what the two different knots are and why one of them will hold tight and one of them won't. And then the, the theory or one of the theories I've read is like the, the guy, the brother who was having that conversation had that argument about it is not the same guy who then tied the knot. So yeah. He doesn't know that they've had the conversation about whether it's okay or not. Like he wasn't yeah. there when, when the decision was made, no, it's, it might be a wet, it's not a wet knot. Don't do it. If he had been in the room, then maybe he wouldn't have done it. But it was a different one, and that exactly. information wasn't relayed. And he thought, "Oh yeah, no, it will be fine." What you know, be- not better than I do, do you? Do you? Huh? Yeah. And um, it's yeah, it's, it's fucking it's, incredible. It's another one of that. Like with all of Nolan's movies, they are they require um, multiple viewings. Um, and I think the prestige yeah. is brilliant for it because what you are able to do, because once you get the big twist, which at the end is you find out, obviously, Christian Bale has been playing two characters the whole time, essentially. He's, he's these identical twins. And that is how he was able to do his transporter man trick. Um, and they, but they seed that very early on by having this relationship with his wife, who's played by Rebecca Hall where she yeah. has this whole notion of on some days you really love me on other days you you're just in love with magic and you don't yeah. you say you love me and i can tell you don't mean it because she can tell the difference and what that is 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 one man sharing one is two men sharing one life and yeah. at times she's talking to a different man but she doesn't know that's how dedicated he is to his art he doesn't even tell her she doesn't even know but now yeah. if you go back and watch the film a second time you can see and you can tell which brother it is in what scene by the way, by mostly because of Bale's performance, because Bale is incredible in this film. He's fucking brilliant. He's incredible, and he just and you. But now going back, you can go. All right, that's Freddie, or that's because it's Freddie and Alfred. Those are the two. Like they sort of call each other. Yeah, the two brothers, and you can go right. Yeah, you can tell he's the one who's actually in love with, or like you can tell from the way he is with his wife, or you can tell from like the way he's he's being very dismissive of Scarlett Johansson's character this isn't the one that loves her. He's the one who loves his wife. Yeah. And, like, and, and it goes back and you can read all that into it now watching it the second time. Just like, oh, shit, this is so and that's, I think the prestige is the one that best serves repeat viewings. Yeah. 
because there are so many more so so much of the nuance that you can pick up as you go through Mm. and so many of the sort of the smaller things that you go huh like the the dinner for example and the uh, point when you're like hey that beard looks a little bit stuck on and you're like oh fuck it is yeah yeah because that's the other thing and then you're like who is who the fuck is playing fallon and then like you just don't even think about it because at the time IMDb was something that you had to log on to when yeah. you went onto the when you logged onto the internet. You know, it wasn't something you could just blast out on your phone in half a second. Yeah. You know, um, and you're just like, oh, it's another guy. Or he, he's he, always he, got a hat on. I actually, I, that's a good point. I'll be interested. To, I wish I had done it, but I didn't at the time because at the moment, the way I watched it this week was that it's on Amazon Prime, and Amazon yeah. Prime has the X-ray feature where you pause it and it tells you who's on screen. So it'd be really interesting if they had there was a scene they, where it was Fallon. They and, tell you. Do they? <laughs> yeah. I do. Yeah, if I remember rightly, they tell you. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I, I love, like, just from a, from a meta point of view, if you, when you step back from it, you realise that it's like, it's his commentary on film and, it's, and the film is structured in the same way as Magic Trick. Yeah. Where you have the pledge, the turn, and the prestige, and the film's called The Prestige. Because it's not enough yeah. to make something disappear. You have to bring it back. And it's like, so yeah, yeah so the, the film turns when you really, you know, at the, I don't know, where, where would you say the turn is? Oh, fuck. Um, that you make the, the ordinary thing do something extraordinary. So it becomes something, I don't know if that is, because you wouldn't say it was like when you find out about the, the twist and, and the, the twins and everything, because that's right at the very end. That's the prestige. But that's that's the thing is, it's because of the way, like you say, with the the, the structure that it's got, it doesn't um, it does follow it in a way. There yeah. is a prestige moment, but there is there are definitively acts within this because there's this, there's once Freddie's been arrested, mm. then the film acts differently towards everything from there. But there is so much that is shown in flashback. Or, yeah. or is it all in flash forward or is it all, you know, and it's like, so it is, I think it is quite tricky to sort of be able to sort of jot down on a piece of paper and be like, this is exactly where it is. Mm. But there are so many sort of waypoints throughout and you just go, Oh Jesus. I didn't, 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 didn't think of that. Didn't think of that. Didn't think it didn't see, didn't see that last time. Yeah. And, and yeah, I just, I think one of the most powerful moments for me is the sort of when Freddie and Fallon are saying goodbye to one another in the prison and he sort yeah. of throws in the ball yeah. and you're just like, okay, this is a man, this is a man that's accepted his fate and this is the father. So this is Alfred and like, rather than the Fallon one. And then the Fallon no, it's one. Not, no. And that's because that's that's what I always I go to and from on that. I think it no because he says because so the one who has because you have the big the the big sort of climax is where they're having they're revealing each other their secrets to one another at the end um, because you get the one and he but he says um, he loved um, Olivia I love Sarah is what he says. So what that means to me then is that although arguably like oh you know, yeah. You don't know, because what it means is like the one who goes on to live, like at the very end of the movie, you have the two brothers. One of them gets hung for murder. The other one goes on to live and has his daughter at the end. So in a way, if it's a case of who won, like Christine Bale's character won, or one of the Christine Bales, 
Um, yeah, I mean, like well, yeah, the um, Borden but, one. Yeah, but, but the one who goes off with the daughter is the one who was in love with Sarah. So whether that means yeah. biologically that's his daughter is unsure because presumably they were uh, both... Presumably, so, yes. So that means that it could, you know, although they're, they're identical twins, so... But like, yeah, I mean, they are identical twins, even down to the trademark mole on the bridge of the nose. On the trademark mole, and the, obviously the um, the fact they do in this, he's chopping off the fingers. That, which is amazing, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, and then, I mean, the other element of this is the the supernatural they element they get into, and a lot of a lot of people have a problem with it, and that's where the film loses them. Is Nikola Tesla replicator machine um, okay in, in the first half of the movie they make a really big point about how all the magic tricks are, are just that they're tricks and you see all the like the, the ridiculous um contraptions that they build, like tricks are what yeah. whores do for money for money <laughs> there are, so, sorry yeah the illusions um so then yeah when they would do they do that and then when they go oh no magic does exist it's tesla and he can and he can replicate people using light sparks people go what <laughs> it's a big jump. It's a big jump. Do you know what I mean? To go from yeah. to go from no, we have to use a you know really like there is no way of doing a transported man other than hiring a huge Atman with some fake teeth in and a big nose. That's the yeah. only way to do it. Um, to go from that to oh no, we've got a cloning machine. That can <laughs> then it's a big jump. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I completely get why is... that throws people. Uh, I mean, I don't know. It was it, it never, never really registered with me. I was just like, "This is a science thing," yeah. And we are watching films, so it never really sort of caught me off guard, and it never really sort of did me in in any way that I was like, "Oh, this is silly." But yeah, I feel like it's um, they kind of they make it worthwhile by showing the consequence of it um, by having yeah. Die, uh, you know, and having it be, and the the way they sort they build the dread of it up, like the way that like Tesla talks about it. He's like, if you if it was me, I would send this to the bottom of the ocean and never use it. This is wrong. Like even like like this is just it's not right. You shouldn't be doing this. And like the way no. they, they build that that dread, and again like using the score and all that sort of stuff. They're like, this is like, yeah, this is the wrong. This is not right. Um, and like the way, even like Michael Caine, he goes, "No, this was not made by a magician. This was made by a wizard." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the, the, it's got the most disappointing trick of all, Your Honor. It's real. Oh God. <laughs> um, all right, Mike. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we we kind of need to move on because the prestige, or the, as amazing as it is. Um, yeah, we could be here all day talking. We could be here all day talking about it, and maybe one day we will go back and do more deep dives into these films, but. For the purposes of today, um, I mean, Inception. Oh, yeah. Fuck. I mean, chronologically. So okay. then he goes, so he goes, The Prestige. Then he even goes and makes The Dark Knight. Then he goes, Hmm. So I've made the biggest movie ever. Um, the studio are clamoring for me to make a sequel to it. I'm going to make a film about invading people's dreams where it's a two hour movie and an hour and a half of it is just explaining the concept. And it's going to make sense. And it's going to make perfect sense. And it's going to be another. It's going to be another smash hit. Everyone's going to love it. It's going to be yeah. And it's like 
fuck. Because it's not um, one of those things where someone's like, I'm going to make a film about this. And you're like, well, that's fucking silly. Yeah. Because, but, because everything, pretty much everything all lines up, works out, and just functions. Yeah, and it's it's an amazing like it's a concept piece, and again, it's it's one of the, it's probably the most Nolan-y of all the Nolan films so far. In that, it's completely um, it. The thing with all of these films is that you you basically go right. Well, there's a a period piece magician film. There's a a war film. There's a space film. They can all be compared to other things within that genre. So you can compare Interstellar to Two Thousand One. You can compare Dunkirk to yeah. Saint of Blood Ryan. You can't do that with Inception. Inception is no. entirely its own thing. It, it's just it's just a Nolan film. It, that's the one for me where it kind of defines him as a as a director and as a as a genre unto himself in the same way that Tarantino is discussed. Like Tarantino, you yeah. go Tarantino is just Tarantino. There's nothing you can't. It, Tarantino- so, but no, Christopher wrote wrote uh, Inception, and then yeah. Jonathan Nolan did the screenplay, didn't he? Um, I think Nolan just wrote the whole lot, actually. Uh, let me have a look. Um, damn. Hang on, let me log into IMDb. All cast and crew, writer. No, one writer credited on it, and it's Christopher. Really? Yeah, written and directed by Christopher Nolan. That's it. Nick. Jonathan's not involved. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> where to start with Inception? Inception is, yeah, it's about implanting an idea in someone's mind and they ba- and he builds a heist film around that concept. Yeah. And that's it, basically. That, as much as it is a very it is a complicated film and there are levels of dreaming and all the rest of it, it's essentially quite a simple story. Um, it, the, the thing about... The, the the thing I always find with Inception is that it's purported to be more complicated than it actually is. I think it's because of the way that it's written, and I can understand why people have this criticism of it. Is that so much of it is a is exposition, and it keeps going mm. all the way through the film. Like even when you get towards the back end of it, like there's still like you know when they when he's shooting the the guys um, in the snow level, if you like, in the in the final level of the dream. She's still asking questions like, wait a minute, are you destroying those parts of his mind? Those, because they're yeah. meant to be some representations of his subconscious. And he's going, no, 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 no. I was like, you're still explaining it. And we're like two hours in. Like, just, we, we, we've accepted the concept now. Just let, let, let it play out. It's fine. Um, yeah. So I think because also, of that. I think that's... that works because that grounds it in a way that you've got somebody that's constantly, then you've got the character of Ariadne who is saying, who's you know this is something that she's only really doing for the first time yeah she's she's, sort of... she's definitely the point of view character and it's through things being explained to her that we understand it all um yeah but i can understand i think that's part the reason that because so much of the dialogue of the script is taken up by that by explaining things to ariadne and therefore explaining them to us people get the impression that it's more complicated than it is yeah i don't think it actually is that complicated I, it, i'm with you i don't think it's it really it really isn't and it's it's just a case of like it's not because i know some people don't get it mm. because and that's understandable because it is quite it's got a lot of layers <laughs> but once you know uh but it is you know once you get once that thing clicks in your head it's there yeah it's dense and i think to me like the 
the thing with inception like the 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 heist element of it is kind of superfluous that's just like for action set pieces and cool stuff the real heart mm-hmm. of it is the whole is the the mole um relationship and leo dicaprio and all the rest of it and that's why it's important that when he gets to this later stage in his career you no know, he's able to get these actors like your Leo DiCaprio's and yeah, Matthew McConaughey's who can really sell the emotional element of whatever it is he's trying to achieve. Um, yeah, and that's and, I think is a bit of a is a boon to him is the ability of having those characters with the emotionality in there. Yeah, because he is guilty of some characters exist in Nolan films simply to move the plot along. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like, what's what's interesting, and a lot of people have have, um, and some people just are just there as expository devices. Michael Caine, for example, in The Prestige, yeah. is there to be like, this is how magic works well, in the Victorian well, what, time. What's interesting with that again, like, because there's this all the Prestige and the um, and the Inception have a lot in common actually. Again, in terms of them, they're the films where people have argued that they're they're films about filmmaking. So the fact right. that Michael Caine's character is called Cutter. Is like yeah. is he is he a representation of the the editor, the editor. of the film? Because he that like I say, he, <laughs> okay, set, yeah, he yeah. sets up the oh yeah, this tank was of important significance, and then it cuts to this. He's cutter, and then in Inception, you can basically assign each one each member of the the heist crew has an equivalent within the filmmaking process. So yeah, like Cobb is the director. He runs everything. He tells everyone what to do. Um, yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the producer. He basically pulls everything together and gets all the resources and sorts everything out. You got Ariadne, um, what's her name, uh, Ellen Page. She's the production yeah. designer. She designs the sets and makes everything work functionally. You got um, Tom Hardy, he's the actor who can literally go into a dream and pretend to be someone else. A dream being a film, essentially, is what you're doing. You got yeah. Ken, Ken Watanabe is the executive producer. He's the studio executive. The who money guy. It. Yeah, and then you've got Yusuf, the chemist, who makes sure the technology works. He's the guy who's in the head of ahead of the um, special effects. Yeah, <laughs> it all works. It oh, works okay, perfectly. yeah, yeah, it works perfectly. And then and then you go like again. He's made this film where it's like every every layer of the dream they go into. The idea is to fool one particular person, and that person in this case is Killian Murphy's character. And the idea is like everything is a performance for him. So it's like everything that we've done here, everything he sees, everything he, he touches is for his benefit. He's the audience member and we're the filmmakers. Right. And, and that he brings in his own subconscious into it. And it's like an audience bringing in all their, everything they like. Every, we go into a movie and we bring everything with us, all the baggage, every film we've seen before, what we've been, what we've been doing that day. That's us like filling the screen with our subconscious essentially. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like, yeah. 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 It, it all fits. Oh, I never thought about it in that way. Like, yeah. it, it it works. Um, it definitely does. You but know, I'm again, that's like... just that's just one sort of layer of it. If you like, you can read it like that, but that's got nothing really to do with the the Dom Cobb trying to get back to his children, missing his wife. His wife isn't alive anymore, and that the that make that amazing conceit and that sort of the prestige of Inception essentially is that he's done Inception before to his wife. Yeah. And it went horribly wrong. Well, it didn't. Well, no, it, 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 went, worked, it went too. It worked too well. Then, basically, it went, yeah. it went very, very right. Um, and it's yeah, the idea of implanting an idea in someone's head that then can never, can never leave. And it's like, and that's like one of the opening lines of the movie, isn't it? What's the most resilient para- parasite in the world? 
is an idea. And they explain it like it's a virus. It's a virus, yeah. It's like, and once you've taken, once it's taken hold, you can never get it out. It's like, yeah. Again, it's it's a film. Although it's dressed up as a heist movie, it's a film about the internal thought and how mm-hmm. how people again subjectivity, how people view their own world and how that could be shaped and manipulated. Is everything? All these movies have got something about deception and manipulation in them. Like, you know, the prestige yeah. is about manipulating the audience to believe in a banjo trick. And Inception's mm-hmm. about manipulating pretty much everybody. Uh, but also, and then moving into Interstellar, mm. like fairly significant spoilers for Interstellar, but there's massive a deception. massive series of deceptions within that. 100%. Like the whole film, like it, from early, very early on, when you realise that they're teaching in the, the, the curriculum, they're teaching that the moon landings were fake yeah and again it's about it's perception and and changing changing history to fit a better narrative which is like exactly mm. what leonard does in um memento it's like now he's but now like no and that's what's great about it is that they scale it starts off with a man lying to himself to be happy in memento by the time you get to inception um interstellar it's an entire society and an entire world lying to themselves so that they won't <laughs> so that they won't repeat the the mistakes of the past and it's like jesus christ he's, this guy's like what's he gonna but do it's also like the, everybody's lying yeah. because it's and then they're justifying their existence to them yeah because they're like we don't want people to think that you need to that the the way to fix this is to go to outer space yeah we need people to realize that you know, you have to be here to fix the problem. You have to be in the problem to fix the problem. And like, because people have given up and then people have, have bought into the stupidity of the overall sort of. Yeah. And it's interesting. So, I mean, interstellar is an interesting one because like, to me, it's like Nolan very much clearly has his opinion on it, if you like, which is that that's the wrong thing. You know, the caretaker stuff and then looking at, you know, focusing on the here and now is not the right thing to do. What you should be doing is looking to the future and being an explorer and a pioneer. Um, but the yeah. way that that is sort of communicated a little bit in the movie is that you have the two kids of the main character who is um, Matthew McConaughey's character. One of them is a scientist and a dreamer and, a, and a, you know, a pioneer who, pushes things forward Murph and the other one and the other one no one cares about yeah exactly he could not give two fucks about that kid (laughs) and not only the character also Chris Nolan as a filmmaker like they bring it they have this character who in the originally in the opening sequences is played by um Timothy Chalamet which we didn't realize and then later on is played by um Casey Affleck Casey Affleck but like he he um He's the one who, yeah, he goes, I like what you do. I want to be a farmer. So it's not like he had aspirations to be anything else. This is just what, this is what he wants to do. And he does his job and he tries to look after his family and he has you know, a kid that dies, which is a tragedy. But they just fuck him off because he's like, because he's not a genius like scientist like his sister. So therefore, fuck yeah. him. Yeah, but I think, like, I, think it's, uh, the, I think the message is a little bit deeper than that because he is this person that's just, he's just getting on with, whatever he's getting on with he's just farming he's just focusing on the next crop and that is it like there's a point where mcconaughey's when mcconaughey starts saying we do this every year we say next year will be better we say next year will be better and that exemplifies that message it's the fact that he's still there doing the same thing that he's always done believing the same lies that everybody else has been told 
yeah until what happens until until and he's just letting his children suffocate he's letting his wife and son die through just sheer sheer stubbornness and just um like i don't even just not even caring like the yeah. complete absence of care and ignorance of the future is it's more of a i think the message there is about climate change and it's the people are like oh well it's not really our problem uh, you know i'm gonna i stay here i look after my kids and i do the right thing that's for somebody else to worry about but don't bring that to my doorstep which yeah, is exactly so. what happens in this film and it is it is quite funny that we can laugh at the fact that he is just grossly dismissed and he's like nah fuck that guy yeah but that's the message is that these people are the idiots here these are the people that the people that are just blindly moving on without thinking about the yeah. future without working and trying to forge yeah i know i feel like they know. just they they could have i think they could have made him another character because the problem with that is it bumps up against the other central concept of the film which is that it's love that his love for his daughter is what transcends the dimensions and is what's able to save the human race. And they talk mm. about this, this lo the love for your kids is something that like it, your survival instinct as a human being extends to your children. And all this theory they have around, you know, love for your, for one's offspring, for one's own kids. And that being the drive of the thing that like pushes us into the future. That's yeah. great, but it can't be exclusively only one of your kids. Do you know what I mean? Like, why is it only, like if yeah. that, that should if that's your theory, you kind of can't neglect one kid in that equation. You have to have like no, but you're not I mean? going to be able to explain. I feel quantum, like it could have been. It could have been you're not going to be able to explain quantum physics to the farmer who left school at thirteen and was shown to be below average intelligence. No, but that's not even you I know. And, and, and has written off his. You know, it's. I, I appreciate the point, but. Like realistically speaking, like yes, Murph and uh, I've forgotten his name now. McConaughey's character, Cooper. Um, like Murph and Cooper are both very intelligent. They are extraordinarily close. And, yeah, I just I, uh, I feel yeah. like that, that if they're going to make that point about you know love being the thing, then then they need it to be something whereby yeah he's able to reach out to his kids through this portal or whatever not just specifically Murph because then it's just like then it's like is your love for her more powerful than it is for him then and like if you're gonna because yeah. it's a big swing and that's the thing that a lot of people have issues with and I kind of have a bit of an issue with it is that they have this there's a lot of science in Interstellar and they consulted with the, the um, I can't remember the name of him now the, um, Kip. Kip Kip Thorne that's it Kip Thorne who's this like amazing you know, cutting edge astrophysicist, and he is an executive producer on the movie. And mm. like Jonathan Nolan, like went to the university to study astrophysics to be able to write the yeah. script. Jonathan Nolan went to Caltech, one of the premier schools of science and technology in the world, for four years, I think it was. Yeah. Or studied with Caltech for four years. No, didn't necessarily attend every day, but he studied with Caltech for four years every day to be able to learn everything that exists within this from a physics perspective from well, a quantum physics perspective yeah so the, the, uh, there's that commitment and like and from a visual point of view as well they make this whole point about like the way they show the black hole and the and the um the wormhole is like a big sphere and it's like mm -hmm. it's the most realistic depiction of any of these cosmological concepts you've ever seen and and so all that commitment to tech is great and then they have this big swing about 
love being something that is a measurable, quantifiable thing. And it's mm. like, okay, big swing. But you're kind of, my, my main issue with it, I guess, is that they give that speech, and it's the thing that people take the piss out of, but they give that speech about love being that something that can transcend the dimensions to Anne Hathaway's character. I kind of yeah. just wish they'd given it to another character because the, it's buying into that that cliche of the irrational, emotional woman, if you like. Yeah. On on the mission, they've got they're all men, with one exception being her character, Anne Hathaway, and she's the she's trying to implore them to go and meet up with the the scientist who's on a world where she has a relationship with him. She's in love with him. Yeah. And choose his world rather than Doctor Man's world. Who's, which is another one, they're, and they're having that debate. And her point that she gets across is, "I'm in love with him, and love is something that can transcend the dimensions and all the rest of it." And you're just like, mm-hmm. "Did you not have just given that to one of the other actors?" Just because you're just buying, and then yeah. the two men then dismiss. Well, her I don't being, think it. I know that's not the intention. I know that's not what you wanted, but it just that's what the optics. That's what it looks like. Do you know what I mean? Because then what happens yeah, then is the, the two men then go, "Oh no, we're not doing that. You're being crazy." Because you're jeopardizing the whole human race because you're in love with this guy. Basically, they're like, honestly. And, and in fact, what they should have done was listen to her. They and dismissed no, the wrong. fact because she's a woman and because of she had this idea, and they're like, oh, bloody woman with her yeah, emotions yeah. and her feelings no, the, and stuff. No, you need to fucking listen to her because that cost the lives. No, it did. And you're right. And cost like, the life by doing that. Again, and then it's clear where Nolan stands on that debate and his thoughts on it because that's something he gets accused of a lot is being very cold. But I feel this is the, this is an example of his like his actual real feelings about sort of sentimentality and emotionality and all that sort of stuff is there to see yeah. the fact that she was right and by going the other way and like he even goes so far as to have the the wrong choice the guy they go to being called Doctor Man as opposed to <laughs> you know what I mean? the, exactly like, he's really laying it on thick but I just wish that that whole argument had been given to say like there's the guy, the other guy who's on the ship with them I can't remember his name now. Um, who's been sat there for 23 years or whatever, yeah. like have him be the one to say, oh yeah, I was, I was actually seeing, I was in love with one of these scientists who we sent out and I want us to go to her planet and him have this whole speech about it. It just would have sat slightly, it would have sat slightly differently. You could have had the exact same dialogue, but just it would have been less of a cliche, I guess. Um, and it would have, I think it would have got less criticism because people hate Anne Hathaway anyway. Well, yeah, people hate her because she's a theatre kid, but like, I think she's fucking brilliant. She's great. She's and it, great. And she is amazing. Like, you again, look at any of her performances in anything, and she always gives it 100%. Yeah. Um, and again, and, like, this is her and McConaughey really sell this. So again, the, mm-hmm. the big sort of standout sequence isn't even one of the big um, space sequences, which are fucking spectacular and look amazing. Like The docking sequence is unreal. But the biggest sequence and the one that people remember from this is when his Matthew McConaughey comes back and watches all the videos that have been sent to him over the last 23 years. Yeah. And has a complete breakdown. Um, and he sells that so well with no dialogue whatsoever and just like, fuck. Yeah. McConaughey. And it's, it's the point that quite early on, like one of the other points that they say is um, uh, going back to the, is it Tom? son who cares but <laughs> his dad doesn't but, um, we? well that's what i mean is that there's the point in that when murph reaches out after they're adults and he's already given up 
Tom's already like, oh, yeah, my wife told me that uh, I should let go. So this is me letting go. And then you're like, so both of his, um, both of his kids have completely dismissed him. But then Murph comes back and she's like, I've now learned this new truth. I've now learned this. And I've learned this. Tell me, did you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, yeah. So the, the big truth, the big lie is the whole plan A versus plan B. Um, I don't know if we've got time to get into that now. But like, well, we, yeah, we, I think we do because it is just explaining so, that plan A is a facade. Yeah, plan A for that, for the, the idea is that they send um, these astronauts out on this mission and there are two schools of thought. One is they're able to find a solution to the gravity problem, i.e. What, how is there a way to get people off the Earth in a, cost, in a, in a way that makes sense? Some way that they yeah. can basically... And due to time dilation, which we can will very basically explain is that because they're traveling so much faster and because they're traveling at this significantly vast speed and because time makes time is relative in existence to space time they are getting significantly more time to study things than they would on earth so they can actively study something in a much broader sense of time so they get that extra level of research than they would if they were just sat on earth waiting to die. Yeah. So they go out. So that's plan A is for them to go out and study these things and see if they can find a way to solve the equation that allows more people to get off the earth. And we can create ships that are big enough that we can, and have some sort of way to you know combat gravity and therefore have yeah. them lift off and take hundreds of thousands of people with them at a time. That's yeah. one way. Plan B is that they've got all these frozen embryos on the ship and they can do what they call like a population bomb where they just put out a load of, you know, embry- incubate a few of them, raise that first generation, then use surrogacy. That, that generation surrogacy yeah. and then raises them. And then on exponential growth within yeah. a generation's time, you've got a colony of hundreds of people. Right. So basically they then find out that a is a lie i he's basically realized the the main you know michael kane's character knows that there's no way of solving it because in order to solve it you'd have to go within inside a black hole and transmit the data back you can't do that because once you're inside a black hole nothing can escape a black hole so it is a Mm -hmm. physiological impossibility for us to be able to solve this therefore all we can do is do the embryo thing and that way you can do it I think the thing that I wish they'd tackled, and I know this is probably too much to tackle in a film like this, I guess, but it's ambitious enough, is why plan B? So I understand the, the why of plan A is because just pure survival instinct, people want to live. But why do we want to do plan B? Like, why is it important for humans to continue to live? Like, what have we, the jump, they haven't really just, they haven't justified it. They haven't said, like, we, like, we haven't improved the planet that we've been on. If anything, we've destroyed no. it. So what, 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 what's the benefit? Yeah, but we're not going to, we're going to sentence ourselves to our own genocide. What we're going to be looking at is, is because we are looking at a film that deals with the love that is passed on through generations and the survival instinct. Yeah. You know, so that is the, the sort of the principal conceit of that message is that we are survivors. Humans have survived everything that we've come through so far, like just simply because we're here. Yeah, but I, I don't know. You know, I mean, and, it's, just, and the plan B is that we can do something that's better for the next generation. We're not going to sacrifice ourselves to do it, 
well, in fact, we are going to sacrifice ourselves to do it. You know, we are going to move on. We're going to face our own mistakes and we're going to take a hit for that because we, he's just, that's his plan B is that we've done this. We haven't earned the, the right to survive, but those children have. And there's a line that she says about with evil. And they're like, the, the only thing that the, the only bad things we're taking is, and he said, is only what we bring. And Cooper says, is what we bring with us. Yeah. So that's the thing. All the messages, all the evil that has existed on earth throughout history and time is now on earth. Plan B is our chance to move past that, to be better, to take that onus into ourselves. Again, climate change is like perfect example of this is that we are talking about, you know, if we do get this opportunity where we haven't fucked the planet because we like driving big cars and because we like Lamborghinis and flying to Florida, you know, and burning fossil fuels and drinking out of plastic bottles, you know, we're not doing that for the future. We're doing that for us now, but what we can do is better for the future. We can make those sacrifices. Now we can give ourselves, you know, we can give that generation the opportunity and we can take the very best of, as they keep saying, Oh, you know, they're the best of, we're the best of, these are our best and brightest. And they're, they're using that almost in an arrogant way because they keep referring to um, Dr. Man, and they're like, Oh, he was the best of us. He inspired all of these people to go. Yeah. And yeah, I just think that's the way that it sort of lies yeah. is that we shouldn't really be looking at it in the, the, you know, we've earned, we haven't earned our extinction, but what, um, whilst we might have, uh, we might have earned our extinction, our future generation doesn't deserve to pay for our mistakes. Yeah, but they don't know about the mistakes. So they don't exist yet. Do you know what I mean? They the, will. The, but the, that's what I mean is that they, they, the, we, these why, messages I, yeah. are going to be passed on. Like we, we can't, and no, they're probably, they're many... probably, no, but they're probably not though, because they because they'll rewrite the history books. You, you well, don't know that they'll be passed on. They, they could be. No, it could be like the the but... Apollo missions that were like they won't know anything about it. So no, just yeah, and that shit. may be the case. And we'll destroy but another service system. The opportunity is there. The cynicism that you've got there is is looking at it from the sort of the unframed perspective. You know, from a cynical perspective, yeah, they're probably going to whitewash the past, but they're going to realize that the reason they're on that planet <clears throat> and not on earth, the planet that birthed our whole species is because something went wrong, you know, and we are talking about, it's not that and we are talking about the bastion of, Oh, this is NASA who have now become this secret organization that have to be based out in the desert in the middle of nowhere, presumably area 51. Um, you know, is yeah. They might watch the past, but they keep reiterating the message throughout that these are the best of us. We are NASA. We are the last of this. Mm. And we are talking about like, especially nowadays, we are in, you know, political affiliations aside, we do have a president of the United States that's questioning the use of NASA. Yeah. You no, know, a space force. Exactly. Exactly. Why explore space when we can shoot it? Exactly. Yeah, so, I don't know. I'd like to say I, it's. Um, 
I love, yeah, I think uh, Interstellar is great, and it, but it explores some of the ideas. I think it could have gone further in exploring more of it, I yes. guess. But um, I think Interstellar is the most hopeful of all of the films. Really? Yeah. No. Because it lays on the fact that people, that generation by generation, there are people that are willing to sacrifice. There are people that are willing to make those changes, but you have to suffer for that progress. Well, you say you have to suffer. The, 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 thing, the other thing that sort of breaks it a little bit is because, they again, there's this time loop element where the, the solutions to these problems are given to us by fifth dimensional versions of the later versions of the human race. Yeah. It's not like we didn't come up with the solution ourselves. We were given it. No, yeah, but we 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 weren't like we were. So it's it wasn't that we mankind's, were. It's not mankind's ingenuity. Like he was given even to the point where they told him. Where, no, because they even to the point where they told him where to go and where like they gave him the coordinates for NASA. Yeah. So they gave him that. They but gave he him gave his, himself. He gave them himself. Yeah, but he was only able to do that by that they constructed the tesseract like thing that we see at the end, where he's in the infinite bookcase. Yeah. They gave they exactly. constructed but it. That's what they, but they, they also, needed they also him. constructed the... They, didn't, they couldn't have done that with anyone else because they needed him. They needed him because he's Murph's dad. He's the person that was there, that was learning these lessons mm. from being out there, that he was learning this and passing that on. Also, the other thing... That you I know, because well, they is... didn't have that capability. They didn't have that route, that connection that he did. And I think whilst mm. a lot of people were saying it's love specifically, and it was like I was saying to you before, I don't think it is love in speech marks i don't i think it's his connection with murph in that place at that time yeah. i think had tom been in that room and been ha- able to have the comprehension that murph did yeah, but he's it dumb, would have been a different story farm. but he's an, but he's yeah he's a dumb farm boy that is ignoring climate change and thinking that everyone's going everything's going to be fine next year it's not going to be okay tomorrow. We need to work on this today. And that's the way that everybody, like people like Cooper and, and Murph think. Because you think about how quick that turnaround is from when they're like, oh, we need we need someone like you, Cooper, and you've been sent by them. Or, yeah, and at the time, they think that he's been sent by them. When it, that's not the case, that's, oh, excuse the pun, but um, it's the Tars. Ha! <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, and that's the thing. He's been, he's there because of that reason. It's this predestination that exists within, like, this is the sort of time travel that I like. This isn't the time travel that I hate, which is just, oh no, but if we go back in time and do the thing, then this won't happen in this world. This is a very linear structure. It's just got one loop within it. Yeah, actually, of all his films, this one, it kind of doesn't jump around too much in time to a point even when they they yeah. use the time dilation to do a time jump. So they do the whole, again, it's subjective, isn't it? So we, we follow Cooper down onto the water planet and the, those guys are there for about an hour. Yeah. Um, and then they come back and it's been 23 years or something. Or they're there for, you know, I think it's for every hour they're on the planet, it's seven years. Yeah, back on Earth. They're, they're, they're away for 23 years. And then they come back. Oh, 23 all... months. Yeah. 23 years, 8 months, and 12 days or something. Yeah. Um, and they get back, and that's when they get the big dump of all the. And that's when we basically get. That's where you get the transition from the child actors playing the the, um, the kids to Casey Affleck and Jessica Chastain. 
and they do that mm-hmm. there in one fell swoop rather than keep cutting back and forth and then from that point onwards everything kind of cuts in between earth and them and it's kind of happening simultaneously so it's quite easy yeah. to keep track of um and that interestingly leads me on to dunkirk yeah because that doesn't do that that does the opposite it cuts in between two storylines but they are not happening all this they cuts between three storylines sorry and but none of them are happening at the same time no um and yeah i mean dunkirk well actually they do they do cross over at certain points they do they They do at the end yeah everything comes together but there's um yeah, it's this is the Nolan applying his, you know, playing with the structure and playing with time to a war movie, to a very a real mm. event, a world, a real world event that happened. Um, and to me, it I don't think it works particularly well. No, no, like it's because I know how much you love this film, but at the same time, yeah. like, I've always. Yeah, yeah, so I, I, the, the frustra- it's frustrating because I watch it and it is amazing. I watched it this morning before we we came on and recorded, and it is yeah. incredible. Like just the the technological achievement of it, the tension that's built, and and all the rest of it is amazing. But I feel like it is trying again. He's trying to do this whole subjective thing where he puts you in the shoes of the people that you're meant to be watching. So he puts yeah. you in the cockpit with Tom Hardy in the Spitfire, which is great. And it really makes you feel like you're in there with him. He puts you on the beach with the soldiers. But what he does is he cuts between them all the time. Yeah. So every time you're, you're like massively invested in whatever particular situation, and every single one of them is a race against time. Every single, every single part of the film is a, um, is a ticking clock. But like it kind of it breaks the tension when they keep cutting in between. Because you're like, sometimes it'll be cutting in between like a daytime scene and a nighttime scene. And it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get be in this place at this time. And you're cutting to something to me that having seen the film before, I now know that happens in like three days time. Mm-hmm. And it's very tense. But tension is about being tense about what's going to happen next. Threat. There needs yeah, to be threat. There's a threat and that exists there. But if I can see what's happening in three days time, then I know. Yeah, exactly. That. But like, even I don't even know that it's three days out. Because I, so I, sometimes, like when I first watched the movie, I didn't realize that he was doing it that way. And so it was like they were there was a bombing sequence where the guy, the soldiers are on a ship, and the ship gets bombed as they're trying to escape. That's taking place mm-hmm. at night, and it's and it's like you know the ticking clock, and and but then it cuts to, um, it cuts to like all the stuff that's happening in the daytime. Yeah. It cuts back to, but then even like sometimes, so in the, at the beginning of the film, the opening of it, it's it, when it's setting up these three different timelines, it's all taking place during the day. So when the, the guys are running for the boat with the stretcher, it's daytime. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts back to Tom Hardy in the air and it's daytime. Now, every film that you've ever seen, your immediate, the language of film tells you that this is happening on the same day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's that's how you've been yeah. programmed to believe. So you go right, tick 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 tick. Oh my god, they're running for the thing. Meanwhile, you cut to Tom Hardy and he's in, in Spitfire. So there's nothing that for me. I'm like, well, I can only assume he Tom Hardy. Quick, hurry up, Tom Hardy, get there. They're, they're running for trying to get the. They need air support. But what yeah. in, actual, in actual fact, what I'm watching is these guys running with the stretcher. That happened a week ago. Tom Hardy's in the air now. He'll be there in an hour. But he'll be yeah. helping out their future selves in a, in a week's time. And it's just like you've overcomplicated it. You don't need, it didn't need to be like this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Cause I, why was, 
you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the story is te- is like an incredible story, and it's true, and it's like some amazing things happened. And I feel, and each one of the individual stories that he tells is amazingly told. But I feel like he didn't need to play with the structure. There didn't need to be a sort of a time conceiver. No, you could have like it's amazing enough on its own without having to do this. And it kind of, if anything, it detracts from it, which I think is a shame. Um, because each one, like, yeah, he proves that he can do what he set out to do individually, i.e. put you in the in the shoes of the person that he wants you to follow. Mm. But he breaks that every time he keeps cutting in between them. If you just stuck with one of them for a full, like, if he just, if that, he made the entire film and it was just completely showing you the week in the life of these the soldiers on the beach, it would have been incredible. Equally, if he made it, you know, an hour-long piece where it was just about Tom Hardy's hour of, in real time in the spitfire and never cut away yeah he would have no doubt in my mind that that subjectivity of the view and everything he saw would have been committed perfectly but he didn't he kept cutting yeah, in between right. like, just never i've never really sort of thought of it that way like the first time i watched it i had no problem whatsoever following it but every time i've watched it since i think because the initial conceit had passed and I was like, okay, here's the shtick. Now I'm, and then every time I've watched this since, I'm like, this is a bit more difficult to follow. Yeah, so like, I don't know, I was making notes as I was watching this morning. So like, you get these, there's two Spitfire pilots, aren't there? There's Tom Hardy and there's the other guy, Collins, I think his name is. He gets shot Mm. down, Collins gets shot down. And you see that Mark Rylance's boat is just coming in to pick him up. And he he waves. And what you then realise later, when they cut back to that scene later on, you realise that he wasn't waving. He was actually trying desperately to get out of the canopy. But like, so for me, that's like, but then that scene is intercut with the nighttime bombing going on. So it's like, right, yeah. that's a really tense situation going on. I'm wondering how is he going to get out of this? So I can see all three um, timelines happening at the same time because I can see Mark Rylance's boat. Now for Tom Hardy's, yeah. from Tom Hardy's point of view, in a few minutes, the, um, the uh, other pilot is going to get rescued. So that, that thing, that tension will resolve itself. Then it, but it's cutting back to Mark Ryan's on the boat. He's still a few hours away from that happening to him and are seeing it from his point of view. So that won't happen for a few hours. It's cutting back to him. Then we cut back mm-hmm. to the guys on the beach getting bombed at night. That happened like three weeks ago. So he hasn't even been shot down <laughs> yet. So it's like, yeah, I can't. Where am I meant to be right now? What am I meant to be invested in? I can't be invested in all of it at the same time. Like, it's chilling. No. Um, and, and like you know, there's the there's a really great sequence, and it's um, Tom Hardy's acting. I think he's amazing in this because for the majority of it, his entire face is covered. Yeah, they have this whole sequence where he has the he has to decide whether he's going to turn around and help with the bomber or he's going to go home because he's running low on fuel. And he has this big like indecision, like what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. He eventually he decides to turn around, and it's this big like swelling moment where the music picks up, and he's going to go and attack this bomber. And then it cuts back to the guys on the beach who are still waiting to get picked up, and it's like, <laughs> right, the way you've cut that makes me feel like he's turning around to go and help them, but he's not. He's going around to get yeah. this bomber, which is going to attack them in about two days' time. Why do you? Why are you confusing yeah. me, Nolan? What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even think of that when I watched it the other day. Yeah, it's, it's always bugged me, but then I was, it just, I'm sort of paying attention to it more this time, especially having watched mm. all the other ones recently. Um, 
and realizing how well they are structured together. And I feel like he it's ambitious what he attempted to do with Dunkirk, but I feel like it's the one where his style didn't quite um, mesh in terms just his yeah in terms of the structure, everything about the filmmaking of it, like just the IMAX shots of the fucking Spitfires and the, oh yeah, all that stuff is amazing. And it, but it just seems but to the me performances that, they get out of it, the shots they get they get out of it. It's just I think it's the time. Continue. Yeah, it's the time, and continue. I think that was one of those sort of things that um, was similar at the time. Because I remember you saying when it, when it first came out, you're like, I "Can't wait to see it again." And then you saw it again and said, uh, "You were unsure about that, about the sort of the timeline situation." Yeah, yeah because I was like, I think it it doesn't add to it; it detracts from it for me. Because, like I said, yeah. it breaks. Every time you're invested in in the because there are all these like race for life like oh shit what's going to happen next what's going to happen next but every time it cuts away to something else it just gives you that sort of cognitive dissonance where you can't quite square what you've just seen with what you're seeing now and it just yeah, yeah it just doesn't quite work um, it's a shame but like yeah like I say it, not to take away from it all like any one of these movies is be- like still in the top three movies that came out in the year yeah. that came out. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Like they're 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 incomparable to certain other films, and like the the class and the caliber of Christopher Nolan's films yeah. are so much higher. Yeah, that I mean, even a bad, not well, not bad, not bad, even no, a film it doesn't with quite hit the point, hit the flaws. Mark. Yeah, is still a fantastic film. Yeah, by I think, normal standards. Mm. I think the other issue that I guess that compounds that when it comes to Dunkirk is that it is this amazing true story and his style I think got in the way of him telling of that story being told a little bit I mean towards the end it's yeah. like the the ending sequence of Dunkirk is amazing like they have this whole thing where all the points are all coming together it's the soldiers are going home Tom Hardy is having to land his um his Spitfire on the beach um, yeah. And then, like, and then he sets it on fire. So as he's about to get captured, and then whilst that's happening, you've got the main character reading out the um, Churchill speech that he just gave about what just happened. We will fight them on the beaches, yeah. and that is goosebumps all over. Makes you proud to be British. Like it's amazing. Like that's amazingly done. And that kind of compounds it to me. It's like you you've taken this real world event, which is an amazing like achievement in bravery and all the rest of it that happened, but you've convoluted it. By, by imposing your style on it a little bit. And I feel like you could have, if you just told it in a more traditional way, it would have been yeah. more powerful. And this last scene is testament to that. It's like, ah, shit. But never mind. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, um, where does it fall in your top five? Yeah, <laughs> nah, you fucker. Yeah, <sighs> fucking done you. Oh, fuck. Right. Okay, right. Let's do it then. So, uh, do you want to go first? So we basically yeah. we've got these these five movies we talked about, and we're going to try and rank them. It's but I've really struggled with it over the last sort of twenty four hours, and things have moved like things have moved from number one to number five. Things have moved mm-hmm. all over the place. Like I can't do it. They're all so good. So mine's actually changed this week, and actually changed whilst I was driving home from yours last night. Yeah. Um, I think Interstellar is my favourite. Yeah, I thought you'd say that. Um, say that and yeah just because there was so much of it that just clicked with me Mm. and it wasn't things that were it wasn't that it had to be framed around you know it didn't have to be framed around the expository machine of this this and this 
there were exp expository devices in there and there were things that are explained but you are left to your own understanding with a lot of it and they say yeah this means this but it could mean something else to you mm. um so it's that inception second which was my first up until i was driving home and i was thinking about it last night yeah um just because i fucking love inception yeah uh then it's the prestige okay um and i think it's probably at three because just because i've seen it so often yeah that it's not um it's like a prisoner of its own sort of success really because i've seen it so many times I know so much more about it and I've seen it and I know what to expect. So I have far fewer surprises. Mm. Um, and then Dunkirk, yeah. like you say, you know, partly because of the time conceit, but at the same time, uh, it's a fantastic film, you know, everything that it represents, everything that it demonstrates, the, the, the very best of what our country can do when really pushed to the brink. Yeah. Um, but like you say, it's it's demonstrated in a in an odd way, yeah. and it's demonstrated in a way that has this overbearing mark to it. Um, Mementos Five, simply because I just don't remember. Yeah. Uh, and I should have watched it, but I just didn't get time. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, so interesting. Mine's yeah, different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at number one for me is The Prestige. Oh, really? Yeah, I love the prestige. Um, I love yeah. it every time I see it. Um, for me, yeah, the repeat viewing is just just sort of cements it even further, and that's when you start appreciating like the performances, like we talked about with Bale and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that yeah, like it is his sort of philosophy on filmmaking and artistry and his relationship with the audience, all that stuff we talked about earlier. Um, Inception, because again, it's the most Nolan-y of all the Nolans. It can't yeah. be compared to anything else. It's just Inception. That's number two. Memento is my number three. Okay. Um, because again, it's the foundation of everything and you realise that when you go back and watch it. Um, and it's just, the fact that it works at all is just astounding to me to this day. I can't ever get my head around the fact that he did that. And he's, the balls, the balls yeah. on the man. Um, I've got Interstellar at number four. Okay. Um, and I, that's the one where I really, I struggle with Interstellar because I love it. And much as I, yeah, sort of did, I, there was a few sort of nickels that I had, which we talked about. Mm -hmm. um, as a sort of, as a nerd, as a sci-fi nerd and someone who enjoys all those heady concepts of just like time and space and the universe and all that, I feel like that should be like one of my favourites, but just for whatever reason, just, it's not because it's bad, it's just because I prefer the other ones that I've just said, Johnny. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, like, I love it and I love all the, the sci-fi-ness of it. And it's like the closest we'll ever get to a modern 2001. It's just like, it's fucking brilliant but i just yeah I, yeah i really struggle with that and that could move um and then yeah dunkirk number five um love it it's an amazing experience just wish he hadn't quite done the the way done it the way he did it that's all yeah yeah that's fair and that's just, it's just um like you say similarly similar with me it felt like it was putting too much of his own stamp on an already amazing story yeah exactly it's like you, you know it in a way where you didn't really need to know it it was good enough on its own yeah. sort of thing um yeah you know when you could have branded 
yeah, you could have just, you could have like, and like, it's like he was scared to make anything. He, he's scared to do anything conventional. That's anything like close to being. Yeah. Like I feel like he, like even in doing the Batman movies, like he, he begrudgingly follows a linear structure. Like, like he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to do like the, the obvious role. The Joker does this and then he does this and then he does this. Like in his ideal world, he would have ended with the with like Harvey Dent or being blown up or something. That would have been the beginning of the movie. <laughs> but like the studio said, no, Chris, we have to have a story that we can follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah exactly. and then, come on. And then, come on. But, and then now he like he's got Step to the point where he's so powerful that when he does like Dunkirk, he can just go, I'm gonna make it in this way, rather than just telling yeah. a war epic that is had, has never really been done. Like there was another film called Dunkirk, but like a war epic with you know done with modern technology and IMAX cameras and all the rest of it would have been amazing enough on its own without you doing all this weird time shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm in I'm in agreement with anyway. that one. So I think we've we've rabbited, we've talked enough. I know I have. <laughs> um, so that's where we're at with Nolan. Any one of these is is ripe for further discussion. So at some point, maybe we will come back and do a bit more of a deep dive on one of the, one or several of these movies. Um, we are going to talk about the Batman movies that he's done, but next year we'll do that. In um, well, yeah. hopefully next year when they're about to release the new uh, Batman film. Mm. But next episode, we're going to be talking about. Tenet. Yeah. Um, so we're going to see that tomorrow. We're going to the IMAX. We know, still know fuck all about it. Um, Seeing it in Nolan's preferred vision. Yeah, exactly. All we know is it's got something to do with, as always, it's got something to do with time and fucking about with time. Um, but I feel like this I will think be... this is like a bigger... Yeah. Rather than just fucking about with time or doing a non-linear structure, I think this is going to really change the status quo of how films are structured. Yeah, well I feel like this is this is gonna from from what I've seen so far, just from the trailer and stuff, it feels like this is going to be similar to Inception in that it will be a, a Christopher Nolan film that stands on its own two feet and like it will stand alongside Inception now as something that can't be defined into any particular genre. It's yeah. just a Nolan film. It's a Nolan thriller, if you like. And what that means by a Nolan thriller is that there's going to be some kind of crazy technology that changes the way you perceive the world. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. So in Inception, it was there's a technology that allows people to share dreams with one another and go inside people's minds in a you know tangible way. And in Tenet, it looks like it's going to be something that allows you to manipulate the flow of time. Reverse the flow of time, isn't it? So well, like, I don't not, know. You're not. You're not sort of. Yeah. I think I don't know. I, but yeah, apparently it's it's. I've heard all kinds of weird stuff. Apparently it's complicated. It makes Inception look simple. Um, it's going to be about all I know is that it will look and be spectacular. And we may even end up having to go to multiple times to try and get our heads around it. Um, but we're going to see it tomorrow and we'll, um, we'll have a catch up about it um, on Monday. And, um, and then we'll see what we think about it. Yeah, fucking definitely. Um, but in the meantime, let us know what you think about the Nolan movies. Do you agree with our rankings? Do you think we're underrating any one of them? Do you think we're overrating one of them? Um, yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah, please just drop us an email and then um, we can sort of, we'll pick up on the next one if you really didn't like it or really did. Yeah, so it's um, theoncastpod at gmail.com. You can get hold of us or just comment on our stuff on um, Facebook and Twitter as we put that out. Sorry, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, and thanks for listening, guys, and we will see you on the next one.
Bye. Bye. Did a partner workout today. That was fun. Okay. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Is that, that is that CrossFit for like shagging? I don't know. A partner workout? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't get on it, man. Absolutely not.